Aloha Warriors, Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi, the aspiring servant warrior. I have with me, uh, from across the pond, as, as they say, uh, Victoria Humphreys, adventurer extraordinaire. She's, she's done a bunch of uh, pretty cool things, not least of which is uh, take a journey to the North Pole with uh, with your mother, actually. <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of women that, that just pretty fantastic thing. I heard that, uh, that 30 for 30 podcast and... and that that sounded like it was a really cool and very challenging experience. Uh, yeah, it was cool in every sense of the word. Um, it was an amazing opportunity. So yes, my mother and I were part of the first all-female expedition to the North Pole. Um, it was a few years ago now, but it was a, a relay expedition where they wanted completely normal people. They didn't want professional explorers, professional adventurers. They wanted normal people right. who would... Um, be attracted by the idea of a challenge of something that was a little bit different and in you know 20 odd years ago no one really did these big adventure trips nowadays there's lots of charity fundraisers and adventuring is quite the thing whereas it really wasn't then so yeah it was an amazing opportunity absolutely fantastic what um you know there's obviously you've talked about this before but for our listeners um, how did you get involved in something like that? Because most people don't wake up if they're not already in this space of hey, doing, you know, kind of more outside the the line thing. Like, what made you go? I want to go to the North Pole. Okay. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I absolutely did not wake up thinking I want to go to the North Pole. Um, <laughs> very, very simply, I well, I suppose if I give a bit of context first, I had been brought up in a family where we were always told, "Why not?" what's the worst that can happen and give it a go. Um, You know, if we climbed a tree, well, you've got to get yourself down. I'm not going to take you out of it. Work it out for yourself, you know. Um, (laughs) Not in a cruel way, but in a very much... Right, right. But just the reality of life is that there are... You can take risks and there's some awesome things, but there are also consequences to your actions. Absolutely. And it certainly wasn't a, a, a family where danger was encouraged. But as you say, it was learning about taking risks and working it out for yourself. So... Yep. I'd been brought up with that attitude. And so when I saw a, a newspaper advert, I was commuting on the tube in London, going to work. And I saw an advert in the newspaper saying women wanted to walk to the North Pole. And I literally, I looked at it and I thought, yep, I can do that. Not in an arrogant way, as in I can do mm-hmm. it easily, but in a um, well, what's the worst that can happen? Let's give it a go. I mean, obviously, quite a lot can happen up in the Arctic. <laughs> yeah, actually, you, we'll, we'll get into that. You had a, a, a caring experience. We'll, we'll circle to that yeah, in a minute. But uh, yeah, so it was that kind of attitude. And also, I think the other bit was the other thing mum in particular had always said to me was, if you wait to say yes, someone else will get mm-hmm. there first. So, you know. I think that's really good yeah. advice. So many things that I, you know, I've had on both sides of that were things I haven't done mm-hmm. and things I have done. And things that I didn't do that I wish I would have after the fact because somebody did it. Definitely. So I I totally back up with your mom. You can always say yes. And then if you've analyzed it in the cool light of day and think, actually, that really is Mm -hmm. too expensive, scary, difficult, whatever it might be. And you genuinely, with a rational mind, think, actually, I don't want to do it now. You can always back out. But if you haven't said yes in the first place, you've lost that opportunity. Um, And like you, I've definitely... I don't like regret, but I've definitely 
um, being sad I haven't said yes to some things and mighty relieved that I've pulled out of others. I'm not too proud. Sure. I'm not too proud. Um, so, you know, it sounded like they didn't just go, okay, no training. Here you go. Walk to the North Pole and, uh, you know, uh, wear your, uh, your early spring sweater or jumper, <laughs> as you say over there, you know, and, and no weather protection or anything. I mean, they, they got you prepared, the, the, the people that were organizing. Yeah, this. it was almost 18 months, actually, of training and preparation from when we had the first selection weekend um, where they whittled out. Well, so they, they weren't too worried about physical fitness because pretty much anyone can get fit enough. Um, but sure. Well, in a year and a half, you can exactly. do a lot. And also up in, well, in, in with any big expedition, but especially in the polar regions, they, there's a phrase that it's 90% mental, 10% physical. Um, so it's all about the mindset. And so they, they during the selection weekends, they were run by ex-SAS officers. So you can imagine it was... It was pretty hardcore. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, and they, for example, we had to swim through a river fully dressed um, in midwinter um, and then carry on in our kits. In another um, one of the exercises, I think this was on the second training, um, second selection weekend, each team had to carry, basically, it was like a ginormous uh, telegraph pole, a really, really heavy pole of wood between the five of us or six of us, and you were never allowed to let it down on the ground. Um, Man, that sounds almost like a, a, a little, not quite the same, but very similar to what we make our seals go through over <laughs> here. Uh, and they're getting ready. Just we, They call it Hell Week. Yes. Um, so I, I live in San Diego, which is where they, they train a lot of the, uh, the, you know, the Navy SEALs here, and they do exactly that. They, they got to go through cold water, and they're holding the – the, the big logs and everything. It sounds like you were doing very similar exercises. It was, it was all about mind games. It really was. It was about yeah. how do you cope when everything goes wrong and, you know, up in the Arctic, you can't telephone and call a bus or call a helicopter. You know, you are miles and miles and hours and hours from help. So it's how do you cope? Do you crumple? Do you laugh? Do you work yeah. together? Do you become a solitary individual? Is it as with most people, probably a bit of a combination of everything, but is that, how's the combination balanced? Um, so it was, yeah, it was looking, they were playing mind games with us to see who would cope in those situations. Yeah, are you going to crack exactly. under pressure kind of thing? Because the yeah. Arctic, you can't really prepare for. I mean, not, it's not like some things where you can prepare more easily. The Arctic is so unpredictable. Yeah, it's not like a football match no. or something, or, you know, where you can kind of, you know there are rules and referees, and if somebody's injured enough, then you can swap out somebody to finish that period of the game exactly. or something. Or... Yes. So yeah, it was. It was, yeah. The, the two the two selections were pretty tough. Um, they narrowed it down to twenty of us, so it was five teams, each with four British women, um, and then our two guides. One was American, one was Canadian. Um, they were female as well. They are the unsung heroines of all of this um, because they actually did walk the whole distance and they became the first women. Oh, they did? Wow. So they are okay. amazing. Um, but they hadn't been to the Arctic. Well, they'd been to the Arctic. They hadn't been to the Pole. So they were trailblazers in their own way. But one of them, Matty, lived in um, Baffin Island and Denise lived in northern Canada. So, I mean, it's not, not Baffin, yeah, Baffin Island. So they knew what they were up to. But um, sure. it was, they were looking, 
Yeah, they, they, they selected the teams based on the conditions of the ice. So when you first leave land, the ice is very, very rough. And as you get nearer the pole, it's very flat. So in simple terms, you want the strong workhorses, the oxes at the beginning, and you want the greyhounds doing the last legs, which is the really fast legs. Okay. Um, well, and that makes sense because, I mean, you know, you're going to have to climb more uniqueness of terrain, mm-hmm. right? Like if you, if you're just walking or if you have to carry a lot of things over, you know, slabs of ice or I don't know, I'm, you know, speaking me as the non ice guy, I'm, I'm a surfer. I like, I like warm water. <laughs> so I, I mean, I've lived in the snow, but I, I don't, I'm very inexperienced with what you did. Um, it's well, the Arctic is not the, flat. Everyone thinks the Arctic is this lovely, mm-hmm. big, nice, smooth, white, flat ice and you ski off into the distance um and it's nothing like that at all it's really what you've got to imagine is being in the middle of the ocean with thousands and thousands of ice flows all held together by pressure you can't tell that you're on an ice flow but basically you are on an ice flow that could be 10 foot wide 10 miles wide anything in between and they are shuffling amongst each other the whole time and every now and then there will be a kind of a bang as quick as that and the ice will start to open up and it do you feel the if it does start to open up or things like that do you feel the ground move beneath you a little bit Not i mean, I, really. I know that you had you you, you yeah. see we, we we refer to it as land obviously you are not on land but you right, see the right. land I mean, moving it, apart your brain will break if it you're not yeah. wobbling. Well, your ice flow isn't. It's not like you're standing on a rowing boat. It doesn't feel unstable. I guess is more. No, it's the not. Yeah, you're a surfer. It's not like you're standing on a surfboard and you're having to no. put your feet flat to right. balance. It's definitely not not like right. that at all. Okay. It's, okay. it's 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 very weird. And the ice, you know, your tent door, whatever direction you put it in, at night when you pitch your tent in the morning, mm-hmm. you would have moved. It would be pointing a different direction because the ice flow in its enormity sure. would have shifted directions and you would have drifted one day just while we were eating breakfast, we drifted 22 miles East, but you're not aware of drifting just over the just course over of the breakfast. course of the couple of hours of melting water wow. eating breakfast. Yep. Wow. It's a very ever changing landscape. So you can see why the mindset, the physicalities is yeah. less important. Oh, that would, that would absolutely, if you weren't prepared for that, that would be quite disorienting, I'm sure. If you want certainty in your life, don't go to the Arctic. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, when it comes to the ice, and we're talking about, you know, we, we, we kind of hinted at this, um, you had a moment, because everybody's wondering, well, what happens if you fall in the water? You get cold, <laughs> you get covered in water. You know, that's, you, because your mother was on mm-hmm. your team yes. as well. So, so the two of you went together and not just you, but you and your mother and I believe your yep. guide all fell through the ice. Yes. So as I say, the Arctic is a ever changing place and there's no maps. You don't, you can't prepare that anything today. I'm going to walk in this direction and the conditions will be this. I'm going to go up a hill, down a hill. You can't prepare right. any of that. So you're constantly reevaluating the conditions and making decisions without much evidence behind you. You have to just be pretty instinctive. So we made a decision to go in X direction and cross X bit of ice, thinking 
and believing that that bit of ice was stable enough to cross. We knew it wasn't perfect, sure. but we made the decision it was stable. You had reasonable expectation that you'd yeah, be okay. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was a calculated risk, not in a dangerous way, but a calculated risk. Anyway, right. we were crossing this bit of ice, and uh, there was nothing uh, massively extraordinary, um, no big uh, bang or noise or anything, but suddenly the ice underneath my mother's feet opened up underneath her and she just sank into the ocean um and within a split second she was swimming with her sledge still attached to her she'd kicked off her skis and her boots and she was swimming trying to get to this what we keep on calling dry land getting to an ice flow so were her her sock feet actually exposed yeah, yeah. to the water the, the whole body the oh whole gosh body. yeah yeah oh gosh and yeah, she yeah. was just wearing literally supermarket socks underneath her big thick boots once the boots came off it was just supermarket socks um wow so yeah so i um again some of the press back in the uk made it out that i jumped in to save her it makes a good story but i didn't sure well the media doesn't always get things right (laughs) i mean you know things they've written about me being a blind surfer of course it's not not entirely the most accurate. Yeah, they, they interpret to get headlines and sales, don't they? Clickbait. Of course. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, it'd be nice to think I dived in and everything. Because of course I was <laughs> did want to save her. But what I did was lean on my sledge and um, kind of lie, lie down on my sledge to try and lean across and pull her. Right, disperse <coughs> the weight. Sorry. And um, so I leant on my sledge to try and lean across and save her. And I fell off, slipped in. We, I don't entirely know. And the next thing I know is that I'm swimming in the Arctic as well. Both of us absolutely sodden from top to bottom. Um, at the same time, Denise, our Canadian guide, she was trying to get hold of us or trying to rescue us and she fell in too. So at this point, you had three of the team swimming in ever-widening stretch of water and three yeah. of the team on dry land, you know, going through the drills that we'd been taught, throwing the throw rope, etc. But of course the ice was getting wider and wider and opening up and up. So throw ropes weren't stretching and weren't reaching. So it was, at the, it's easy now to look back, but at the time it was very, you went into what I call battle mode, you know, survival instinct. Right. There wasn't a time to reflect at that point. It was, how do I get out? And, so, I mean, eventually, obviously, you made it out because you're <laughs> here and, you know, you didn't have permanent. Do you, do you have any permanent damage or any kind of thing as a result of being exposed to the elements? For no, that long, I was or? very lucky. The only thing I had at the time was chillblains on my bottom as a result of everything else. I okay. was absolutely fine. We did lose a lot of equipment at the time, though. Um, and for 24 hours, the expedition was definitely at risk. Um, not only from us or suffering, you know, the, the effects of falling in and you have no right. spare clothing, no real spare equipment. And obviously we were sodden, but actually at that point, after we'd got out and met up with the others and rescued ourselves, a lot of the equipment had been left floating in the ocean. And so we had to go back and try and find it later the next day. And you were able to get it? Incredibly. Or? And, you know... If, any, if Hollywood's listening, feel free to make this into a film. But, you know, Hollywood wouldn't believe it. People watching wouldn't believe it. But, yes, every bit yeah, of equipment. Yeah, the suspension of disbelief. You're like, no, this exactly, really happened. It really did happen. 
Um, every bit of equipment bar two ski poles did what it was supposed to do and floated to the surface and froze. Um, and so the wow. Matty, the American guide, went with a pickaxe and the next day and pickaxed out all the bits of equipment that we hadn't rescued on the on during the accident itself. How did you get warm and dry after that, though? Because that has to have been a real big concern to, to do that as quickly as yeah, you could. Yeah, I mean, that that's the most dangerous time, actually. I think we were more in danger in the hour or two afterwards than we were in the five, ten sure. minutes when we were actually in the ocean. So once we did get to, to, the, to the ice, to the other side of the river, and we, we ended up being separated. So one guide, Mum and I, were one side of the open water, and... Denise, the other guide who'd been in, plus two other teammates were the other side. So we were completely separated by this widening, widening river of, of frozen or of, of frozen ice flows drifting past us. The first thing you do is um, roll in the snow to absorb as much water as you can. Right. Um, and then it's about movement, keeping warm. So we instantly, there's no time to cry, no time to feel sorry for yourself. And right. of course, Sod's Law, the sledge with the food, and you never put food and fuel in the same sledge because they'll contaminate each other. And I can't right. remember which sledge we had, but we had, out of the kind of sledges with tents, with food and with fuel, we didn't have the fuel. So we couldn't get ourselves hot or do anything by cooking. Um, so the only solution for us was to get moving and to get warm. So we just walked until we could find a place to cross and they walked the other way um, equally trying to find a place to cross. Now you were talking about rolling in the snow because most people think they hear that they go, well, wait, but isn't snow made <laughs> out of melted, you know, frozen water? I mean, so it absorbs the water. So if you, if anyone listening um, picks up a snow, take, gets a snowball and puts it into a puddle of water, the snowball will soak up all the water. And the same thing happens um, when we, with our wet clothes, roll in the snow. The snow will soak up a lot of the water. Now, this, don't get me wrong, you are still very wet, but you are not dripping wet. Um, and what we had to do, obviously our bodies warmed up a little bit, but when we eventually did get to the tent and we did manage to set up a tent and the cookers and get the tent warm, is we stripped off right. and we rested our snowsuits outside so they actually freeze dried um and then we next morning bashed them and so all the ice fell off but the arctic of course is salt water so it's very very sticky so every day when we put mm. our suits on thereafter each morning they would thaw again because they were still had residues of moisture they would thaw sure. again and there'd be that awful sticky salty residue all over your body every day i'll never complain about a uh, a cold wetsuit ever again because <laughs> you because you, know, you know i mean there's only so quickly you can you can dry a wetsuit yes. out uh for you know for surfing and stuff before you back on the next you day know, if you're gonna go surfing the next day or later that day and it's like, oh gosh it's, it's so horrible, cold yeah. well you know it's not even frozen you know freezing outside so what am i complaining about <laughs> it, i have to admit those were the bits that you kind of it, it wore away at you because each day in your boots, we, we managed to rescue the boots and each day your boots would, they would freeze overnight when you were left them in mm -hmm. a tent at night. And each morning 
you would put them on and they'd be kind of a bit crunchy and a bit heavier than normal. And during the course of the day, that next lot of water would gradually thaw. You would tip it out and then you, you kept on walking, but your boots never fully dried. And so they were always a bit sticky and crunchy too. <laughs> wow, that's... And that... <laughs> just think, I mean, I, I know I, I've heard... Uh, you know, ESPN did a, a thirty for thirty podcast on you, and and, and I I'd absolutely recommend people go check that out. But you know, even though I've I've heard this, hearing it again, especially directly from you, I'm like, oh man, like I I'm very grateful. I mean, right here, you know, we're, we're still on the the Fahrenheit system. You know, it it might be you know fifty something here at the moment. It's which is cold for for California. <laughs> um, I don't know what that is I'm Celsius not very or whatever, good on but that, yes. st- yeah, but it, it you know we're we're quite a bit above freezing but still a bit chilly but still like I, yeah that's that's a completely different i don't level like the of, cold uh, i've got to tell you i'm an i'm a completely normal person i have an electric blanket at night um i'm not i mean i love the cold in that the adventures you can do when you're in the cold like skiing and sure. stuff but camping in the cold voluntarily night after night mm, it's not <laughs> high on my list of wish lists really <laughs> So, so you're not not uh, not doing the Wim Hof breathing and taking the ice baths. Well, I'll tell you what that. I did this weekend. Actually, so I'm I'm raising money at the moment for I've hit fifty and I'm doing fifty challenges. So fifty at fifty, and obviously COVID yeah. has scuppered a whole load of those. So well for, for most, most of us, of us exactly. For, you know, so I've, I've had to men, think yeah. differently. So this weekend I climbed into a frozen water trough in my swimming costume and sat in there because um, so, <laughs> I thought it might you know, raise a few quid, people thinking I'm a bit mad. Sure. So I did try exactly the Wim Hof thing of the cold weather invigorates you, the cold. And it did. I did feel a lot. Uh, I felt quite- well, there's a lot to his breathing. I haven't done the ice bath thing, um, but I have done some of the breathing that he teaches in terms of getting people prepared for it. And I will tell you, if you do it a few days in a row, your energy level just jumps up pretty significantly. So there's definitely something to what he's, he's Have you done the about. cold so showers not, yet? Um, I've taken, so I did take, the, I have very, a couple of my, my uh, martial arts teachers that I've had over the years have very interesting training methods, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so they, they, nothing too ridiculous. No, like, you know, stoic, uh, you know, faced periods under a cold waterfall or anything like that. But they did recommend for a while um, just ending every shower with a little bit of cold. Yes, I- and that's probably bad as much as I've done. Uh, I'd, I am one of those people, I love my showers as hot and scalding as I can possibly get without boiling myself <laughs> to death. Um, and uh, uh, so I, I, I haven't done a lot of that. I probably, is it's some, really something on my list as I've been on this um quest to be a professional adventurer uh, over the last handful of years, whatever that, I don't even know what that looks like. I didn't even realize that people actually had that. And then, oh, that's actually a thing people, that's put, they put in the job description. I just thought I was unique, but I, I, I will probably get to it eventually. I, know, I, need, I do need to embrace some of his ideas more. I, I haven't done the cold showers yet, yeah. but, but the breathing definitely. Yeah. And again, actually, yeah. in the Arctic, we were always told it's very easy when you're cold to raise your shoulders and tense your body. And we were always taught, drop the shoulders, relax into it, mm-hmm. um, stop tensing your body, and you won't get warmer, but you won't get colder. And it makes a big difference. It's all, it is about the breathing sure. as well. Um, so, and, and 
you, you just indicated because you're you're actually um you know, mentioned the the ice bath recently you, you are doing a bunch of stuff and have done i mean that that's the thing is you know people go oh that's great that you did this thing and, and it is a very impressive thing what's i think really cool though is how it maybe you know you were already there to begin with because you had this like well, okay i'll give it a shot but it sounds like it kind of built up a little bit of momentum for you you know you've done a bunch of other things since then and this whole you know most people, your average person, I guess, they look at, oh, I turned 50, you know, um, and it's time for me to slow down. You're like, forget that. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna do more. So w- what are some of the other things that you're, you've done uh, since your, um, your, your time up in the Arctic? Um, so I, with a, with a friend who I met on the trip, we actually went back to the Arctic the following year um, and we did another, just a mini expedition. I've also mm-hmm. um, started to run marathons. Again, that makes me sound like an amazing elite runner. I'm a tortoise. Um, I'm very slow, but I and I hate training, but I love the marathon itself. It's the most amazing, exhilarating feeling in the world. Um, so I've done marathons. I decided I wanted to try a different kind of marathon. So they do one at midnight in the longest day up in Tromsø in northern Norway. So I did that. Um, last year, I climbed Kilimanjaro. Which was amazing. I definitely, would like to get into more details um, on that. If yeah, you don't yeah, mind, no, it, that that was wonderful. Um, I've done lots of kind of walking. I love walking. That's a sign of old age, isn't it, or middle age? It's to, when you're a teenager, you hate walking, but now you enjoy walking. Um, <laughs> sounds about right. So I've done lots of walking, and I've also done silly things. Um, again, COVID-related. Obviously, as I said earlier, some of the challenges had to be cancelled. So I sure. run backwards instead of forwards on a on a run, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. It really hurts your calves. Yeah, it puts a lot of strain it, on your knees, really I would does. imagine. And right? Up and down. We live in a very hilly area, so it was uphill, downhill. Um, and that was actually, it was. I thought it'd be easy. It was a lot harder than I imagined. Um, and then I've done mental things, like I've taught myself plumbing skills and saved us having to call out the plumber to mend the radiators. So I've done a whole range of things where... I'm just doing something that isn't necessarily what my normal day-to-day business life would entail. I just like to do things a bit differently. Well, I'm, and that's honestly that attitude is what really made me excited to have you on the show because you know the whole thing that we're building here. I mean, it started out as a hashtag. You know, I, I basically I quit my job probably not quite five years ago. Tend to pursue martial arts and adventure living full time, and I just adventure mind was just a throwaway hashtag I put up. Oh, that sounds kind of cool, and then it built in this thing, and then you know, in the last year or so, we've we've launched the podcast, and it's it's it, you know become a thing. But that that whole doing difficult and scary things on mm. purpose to have more life. I mean, you without me even going into detail, you already have that. You, you have that adventure mindset because it's not about being you know uh i don't know insert whatever adventure here i mean it's not about being wim hof yeah. or um you know cameron haynes is a really famous hunter and you know you have all these different people that have done all these things it's not about that it's about whoever you are doing the difficult and scary to have more life and you're you're doing that and that's i think that's beautiful i think you're spot on it and i always like to say to people it's not people you know people say oh i couldn't do the arctic or i couldn't 
run a marathon or whatever it is. And I'm like, it's not about that. It's what is your Everest? What is your North Pole? Yep. And it doesn't even have to be a physically demanding thing. It could be a mentally demanding. It could be comfort zone. I mean, one of the areas I really want to explore is out getting out of my comfort zone. So one a challenge that someone has set me to do is pose nude for a life class, a, a drawing class. Now that makes me want to curl up in a ball. That's a vulnerable exactly, position. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not body confident in that way. And that scares me far more than doing Kilimanjaro or, or the poles or anything. You know. Now you haven't done this no, yet. No, thankfully. Okay, you're probably going to wait for things to uh, open up before exactly, you know, that way. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, someone somewhere will offer me the opportunity. But I think it's it's about it's about doing something. It's about taking one step. Again, it's not about setting yourself a goal that's so unachievable you'd never even get out of bed to start it. It's about breaking everything down into bite-sized chunks. It's about taking that first step and thinking, what is you know your adventure mind? What adventure do I want to do? What is the first step I need to do? And then tomorrow I do two steps. The day after I'll do three steps. It's not about gung-ho, climbing a mountain, you know, and getting to the top. It's, it's different. Well, and I think the process, and and here's the the really beautiful thing about it, you know, is, is and you know, please back me up or contradict me, even if I'm wrong, is when you do difficult stuff, right? You do the, in your case, the Arctic or or the the mountain climbing, um, or you know, the other things you've done. It gives you a bit of resilience for the mm-hmm. mundane things that you don't care for. You know, I always do. I I, I used to before I went full time with this, you know, I would, I worked a regular office job where I taught computers and and things and, you know, people had to navigate iPads and all that kind of stuff. And, and we had a, I worked for a nonprofit. So we had a lot of committee meetings, a lot of very tedious. And I, I hate those. It was just one of the reasons why I'm not in that line of work anymore. But, you know, my, I had a really cool boss. She let me come in a little bit late on Mondays and just stay a little bit later. But I always hit a, a early morning jujitsu class uh, Wednesday or Monday morning. And, you know, for that five or six minutes of the round, I got my friend, John, who outweighs me by 50 or 60 pounds, putting all his pressure on me, trying to choke me. You know, when I go into a meeting later that day, I'm like, this isn't yeah. bad at all. <laughs> like, I don't care about this anymore. You're spot on. It's about that sense of perspective. And it's about, um, again, I have a real, I, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in the UK, the education system is increasingly all about, achieving the right grades in order to go to college, university, get the best job, etc. Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it's a lot like that here. I mean, we have a lot of, you know, understood, you know, a lot of, um, you know, college is is, is lauded and, and higher education is a beautiful thing. I think mm. people should educate themselves. Absolutely. Not everybody is, is oriented towards academia. So there's, there's the, there's not a lot of preparation for other aspects of life, I think, Absolutely. sometimes. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's assumed that you will go in this linear, this straight line, that it doesn't allow the kind of the the, the, the talk that goes around it, the, the, the talk that your your teachers, your parents, the government, whoever, go on about. It doesn't allow for um, failure or things going wrong or having to go backwards. Yep. So I failed. We wonder why people have panic attacks so frequently exactly. because there's no room for, for starting over or adjusting. Or, we're not... We, yeah. We're not brought up 
you know, when you learn to ride a bike or, you know, in your you know, when you're surfing or whatever it is your thing is, yep. don't tell me you've never fallen off. I'm sure you've fallen off many, many times and you've you've learned each time yeah. from that. That's not failure. Absolutely. I mean, it, you could read it as failure, but it's not. It's It's development. It's learning. And I think it's so important. I have several friends who are competitive fighters. And even then, they, you know, they get obviously have that period of time where they, you know, they don't like it yeah. when they lose, you know. Um, but, you know, the thing that they always refer back to in their kind of more normal state is you do two things in life. You win mm. and you learn. And so if you don't have that full victory that you're shooting for, you still have the opportunity to learn from the experience so you can get better for Absolutely. next time. And I think it's – and that's where adventure and pushing yourself out of the comfort zone – it may not seem to relate to your work or your schooling or whatever, but actually the skills that you're learning, the experiences, as you said earlier, are going into that bank, that mental bank, which prepare you when something does go wrong. You know, and it, it doesn't mean you're not going to cry or be scared or be fearful, but you know how to pick yourself up again. That's the crucial bit, is you know how to move on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I do want to hear about your, your Kilimanjaro trek, if you <laughs> no. don't mind, uh, just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that, that's something I've dreamt of. Unlike the poles, which I, you know, I'd never dreamt about going to either North or South Pole or anything like that. Kilimanjaro, I've no idea why, but since I was, gosh, 10, 11-ish, I've always wanted to climb Kilimanjaro. And so I decided that was something I was going to do to celebrate 50 and that one specifically, yeah. or I mean, it was... Everest bizarrely holds no appeal. I don't know why. And um, you know. you're like, I've been in the cold enough already. I don't. You know, come on. <laughs> maybe it is that. And I, maybe it's just because it's it's so hard and you know treacherous. I don't yeah. know. But Kil Kilimanjaro has always been one of those bucket list things for me. Um, and it was everything I wanted. But I think the lesson, and I can't remember if I explained this to you when we were having our chat before. But I, apart from it being, you know, as you would expect, very tough and difficult and altitude sickness, I really learned a very, very valuable lesson going up Killy because I assumed that with all my previous experiences and the various challenges along the way, mm -hmm. I would be able, I knew how to cope with what was going to be thrown at me. Um, and it turned out it was far harder mentally than I had ever imagined. Yeah. Now, some of that was no doubt altitude sickness, but it was a real lesson in, um, doesn't matter what you've done previously, every future experience is different and you are constantly learning. You are never an expert at everything. And so I thought I was an expert, I suppose. I thought I was really good. At, yeah, he had a little bit of yeah, overconfidence yeah, yeah. maybe. Of the mental, not yeah. physical, the mental overconfidence, definitely. Right. Right. And I, climbing up on summit night, so the first three or four days when you gradually make your way up the mountain, you were acclimatizing, we, were, we had stunning weather, you know, there was joking, there was laughter, it was, it was hard work, but it wasn't anything particularly difficult. Um, but on summit night, you are very high, so you've got the altitude, it is bitterly cold, it's a hard climb, um, you've walked all day already, and now you're climbing through through the night. You set off at midnight, having rested for just two or three hours. And 
it was mentally I had to draw on reserves I didn't know I had. Um, and I never wanted to give up, but I was doubting my ability and I was really believing that I was the weak link, weak link in the team. I was useless. All those mind games were being played. A lot of self-doubt. Definitely. Sure. And it was, it was mentally exhausting. I found it very difficult, but I've come away from that far stronger as a result. And it was brilliant in retrospect and a really good reboot, I would say. A really good reboot. Um, and, and for those unfamiliar, I mean, because, you know, those who have investigated a little bit, you know, if just at, a, at the fantasy level, mountain climbing and that kind of thing, how how tall is uh, Mount Kilimanjaro and how long of a, of a trek was it up the so top of that? So it's um, 5,800 and something. And I, it's awful. This is embarrassing. I can't remember if it's meters or feet. Uh, well, I don't. Hey, yes. you know, I don't expect you to it's, remember it, the. It's, it's, oh, how you know? I'm more con- impressed with the fact that you climbed it than you know how tall it <laughs> it's is. It's the it's the highest mountain in Africa, um, and okay. of the seven highest peaks in the different continents, it's the it's the most achievable because it's not technical. That's the key difference. It's not a technical mountain. Right. Um, so anyone. I, I always um, find it funny when people. I'm no, so no, no. sorry. <laughs> Um, I always find it funny when people talking about, you know, like, oh, I climb Mount Everest. You, you, know, the, you know, the Sherpas go up and down that oh, thing all the time. <laughs> honestly, the, it is the Sherpas, the porters in our case, who carried the most ridiculously heavy bags with the tents and the food. They have my complete respect. And they, some of them were wearing, you know, trainers with holes in rather than proper walking boots, you know, and it depended which yeah. outfit we went with a really good organization who look after their, their staff. So our good. guys had really good, good equipment and were properly kitted out. But some of the people you saw walking past you, it was horrifying. And there we are whinging and moaning and, you know, look at what they're doing. Um, and they're, they're like mountain goats. They just kind of run up whistling at the same time. But, yeah. Sure. Uh, how long of a... Of a trip so up, it's it? four days up, two days down. Um, so you you fly into, in our case, we flew into Tanzania, a um, couple of days acclimatizing and just getting kitted out and the safety briefings because, mm-hmm. you know, the danger of Kilimanjaro is that because it's relatively easy, people ignore the warning signs and altitude yeah. sickness, you know, is not a joke um, and people do die every year. Um, so you've got to be very, very. What do they do to compensate for that altitude sickness? Just taking it slow, or um, bit of both. Acclimatizing, going up, taking it slowly. I mean, in the scheme of things, some days we only walked three or four hours uphill before we set up camp because it's because you'd gone quite steep. So it's about doing it slowly. Um, the other way is that the moment the signs of altitude sickness start to show, if you don't look as if you're going to get any better. The porters, the Sherpas, get you straight down the mountain to a lower point ASAP. So one of our team was taken down very fast because um, you know, just to a safe place because he wasn't um, coping with the very the very high levels. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> that's that's got to be sort of thing. Oh gosh, mm. you know, like 
that judgment call of when do you go back and down, of course you right? want to carry on yeah you know? of course you do and in that in that state you're yeah. i know that if i'd reached that point my mind would not have been in a particularly constructive um frame of mind to make those kind of decisions i was definitely i was in a half lucid frame of mind you know when i was at the top and if a sure. porter had said to me you've got to go down now i probably would have told him what i thought <laughs> so <laughs> what what was that view like that must have been amazing uh, to see from up there do you know like it was the best and it was actually 366 days ago it was yesterday um Oh wow! It's very, yeah, it was. It was as we we climbed through the night, pitch black and literally absolutely pitch black. There was of course no light pollution at all. Very very cold night. Wow, the stars, stars must have been beautiful. Were mind blowing, and it was so the star the moon was so amazing. I almost didn't need my head torch. It was just beautiful. And then suddenly, over the Kenyan plains, you saw this tiny orange light, and it got higher. And oh, higher wow. and higher. And two things were going through your mind. One was that means we must be getting near the top now because you're supposed to get to the top roughly at sunrise. Right. And more importantly, sun means heat. Therefore, I'm not going to be quite so cold. But the beauty right. over those plains, and I was imagining all the zebras and all the animals and the elephants kind of looking yeah. at sunrise as well. And to this day, it gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling thinking back to that moment. I imagine that sounds absolutely oh, you incredible. You can see all across it's... Tanzania. I mean, not quite, but you know, you can see miles over Tanzania in one direction and miles over Kenya in the other direction. And it's just amazing. That, that sounds absolutely beautiful. I mean, yeah. And the, the, the scenery and the, the snow and the mountains. Yeah. Really stunning. When you finished and you know, you you took your moment, at, you know, at the top, did you find that you had hesitation in wanting to come back down? It's a bizarre one, and we've all spoken about it. You aren't allowed to stay up there for very long. They literally let you up for five minutes, and then they sh say, "Down, down, down." You got to get down as quick as possible. So it's a real, it's a weird experience. It's a hurried experience. You you get up mm. there. You have all the obligatory photographs. Um, you have probably a minute on your own to absorb it. You're not really in a fit state to fully absorb it at that point. And then you make your way down. And it's only as you start to get to more oxygen that you start to compute exactly what you've gone through. Um, so it's sort of a delayed absolutely. reaction in terms of appreciating absolutely. it. At the yeah. time, you have that adrenaline, yes. But my brain didn't process that adrenaline. And that sounds, I don't know, that sounds really cool. I, I think I'm going to have to uh, oh, you must. hopefully get to you it someday. Must. We'll have to wait till, uh, we, we, you know, we'll have to wait till oh, things yes. kind of, you know, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start with uh, Mount Whitney here yes. in North America and then we'll, we'll, we'll go our, our way to Kilimanjaro. I'll tell something you what's like amazing that. about Kilimanjaro is the different landscapes. And when you walk, you start and you can you start in the rainforests and so you've got that moisture feeling all around you and you can hear the right. monkeys and you're walking in a damp environment and then within a few hours you're suddenly walking in the plains and 
it's very, very hostile, you know, in that there's no shelter, no cover, and it's completely different animals. It's like cicadas right. um, and lizards, and the, the ground is much harder and rougher, and when uh, greenery brushes against you, it's very sharp, you know, it's that kind of very sharp um, sand and stuff. Thorns and thistles. And, and then right. you're suddenly on the mountain, and it's proper volcanic rubble, basically, scree and big boulders. Wow. And it's completely different. You have three completely different environments that you're walking through. It's uh, it, it probably, I would imagine, gives you an appreciation for the the vastness mm. of the environments on the oh, earth, yes. right? You have, and, and you know, for you, I mean, you get so you've been to the the Arctic, you've been in the rainforest of Africa, you know, and then you kind of come up there. Um, have have you or do you intend to do any underwater <gasps> stuff at all? Any kind of like scuba I things? I loved or? scuba dive, scuba dive. I love swimming. I'm a I love open water swimming. Um, I only started doing it properly uh, last year, so I've only had done a little bit of it. I my secret dream, and I on a good day I think I'll do it. On a bad day I'm not sure. My secret dream is to swim the Channel, the English Channel. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to do scuba diving. It's 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 been a fantasy of mine and there's no reason why I haven't done it. I just haven't really gone on enough of those hot tropical holidays where it's nice sure. conditions. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, I mean, you're, you're a lot closer to say like the, you know, Scandinavian exactly. region of, it, of the world. So, you know, that that's, that's a little, yes. little chilly, you know? So yeah. So, you know, if you want to take me to a nice hot tropical Island, I'll do my scuba course tomorrow morning. Definitely. Okay. Well, you know, if you, I, I do have a, a couple of people I know here in San Diego. So if you make it to California, we'll see if we can connect you with some That's scuba folks. Excellent. I'll hold you to that. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Um, now, the other thing that you mentioned, because I, I was looking at this, and I, I actually think this is a really cool thing that you're doing this 50 at 50 or 50 in your 50s if you adjusted yes. it for, for COVID. Um, the uh, So there's a couple things that other things that you're you're doing to challenge yourself um, and you're doing it for a cause. There's a few different charities that you're you're bringing awareness and, and funds to. Uh, but I, I love the fact that you want to try stand-up comedy. Oh. Uh, have you had a chance to get on stage yet? No, and I'm, I think I'm more scared of stand-up comedy than I am of posing nude because I'm not funny. I, and I'm absolutely terrified of that deadly silence. But that's exactly why I want to do it, for that exact reason. Sure. But, I'll tell you, there's definitely an adrenaline rush, and you know, I think that anybody who has the bravery to step on stage, that that should be applauded. So, you know, you'll you, you'll get there, and I, believe me, I I have done comedy, and it's, you know, sometimes you're not going to have even when you do know jokes, you know, and you don't know timing and all of, and how to tell stories and stuff. There is definitely a time where you falter. And then you can get in your own head. But the thing is, is you also, that same rush that you get when you do something awesome, when you step off stage, you're like, whoa, I did that. Or you're on, there's that electricity. I mean, you've done quite a bit of public speaking. So I actually think you'll probably do better than, than a lot of folks because you're used to speaking in front of an audience, even if not in that context. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love, love, love the public speaking, whether it's businesses or schools. You know, And as you say, it gives you... A complete adrenaline rush. I suppose two, two, two ways. Adrenaline rush, just the buzz of that audience reacting, but also mm -hmm. the buzz of knowing that hopefully 
you've inspired one person to do something differently the next morning and that's incredibly yep. rewarding um but i would give you 10 out of 10 for the comedy side because i think as much as i get nervous for every talk i do and i think for as long as i get nervous that's healthy the day i don't get nervous means i you know i'm not good any longer but the nerves i get are excited as well as nervous nerves whereas if i was doing stand up oh my goodness i think i would i'd be a, a gibbering wreck so you you get my pred my respect i have to say well, thanks. Thanks for that. I think the the biggest thing that that helps people to do well, and you know, we've had far more seasoned um, you know comedians on here than than I've been. I've only been at it a handful of years or whatever. But is if you can get to the point of authentic oh, yes. expression, you know, even if you're doing a character, right? So, um, or you have a it, you know a stage name, and so you know, like our. Um, we had on, uh, there's a comedian Jonesy that was on here. Uh, we recorded with, I'm not sure the specific order of release, but talking to him, even though he had a character name, you, you know, or a, a stage name, there's still that authenticity in his delivery. And so you, you, the same thing, if you can get past that, you know, people are often so time, so much worried about being funny and, and yes, it's true, but it's not the same thing of, you know, going down, you know, going to your local bar or pub or whatever. And, 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 you know, there is a little bit of that, but if you can get to that authentic communication and, and tell things, you know, that unexpected thing of, you know, like there's a little bit of twist <laughs> at the end or whatever, but that uh, authenticity of communication, that's, that's, I think one of the, the comedy that I like the most. And obviously the, there's a whole range, right? You have everybody from, you know, I referenced Joe Rogan earlier, but you also have people like Maria Banford and you have Jim Gaffigan and you have all these different comedians and everything that, you know, so you don't have to be like this comic or like that comic. It, you know, you find, you're not maybe going to find that in a single day, but if you can try to find your voice and maybe even draw upon your experiences and find honest communication, find a way to make that funny. I think that's, that's probably going to make uh, much more of a cathartic and positive experience for you. And you're much more likely to engage with the audience if you're speaking from an authentic I like that. Uh, place. I'm, I'm a big fan of authentic, which is why I know I'm a bit, especially in the workplace, I can be a bit quirky, a bit different, a bit alternative, because <laughs> that's me. And maybe it's some, you know, some people perceive it as, well, she should be more uptight and straight and whatever. But you are spot on, actually. I. It's about being who you are. It's about understanding your audience, obviously, but it is, it's about being authentic and talking from the heart, not talking from a script, I suppose, isn't it? Well, and that is the thing. And, and, and you know, I think... It, we live in a weird world, you know, where there's this expectation. We're, we're constantly fighting against expectations, expectations of, um, you know, politics, expect, you know, pressures from maybe or perhaps our religious upbringing, pressures from, you know, what's considered acceptable for our age or for our respective gender or anything. And that, and some of that's going to change culturally, right? Like, so if you if you live in an extremely conservative area, what's going to be expected of you is going to be very different than if you grew up in Santa Cruz, California, which is where I'm originally from, which 
is an extremely, you know, it, it it's very much, you, you take Berkeley and it, you, you know, wrapping up a few notches, you know, it's a very different type of town. Um, so what's going to be expected, what's acceptable is very different, but there's always that mm. pressure from, from whatever angle. And so if you can find your lane, your own authenticity in the midst of that, that's... It's having the bravery, isn't it, to... Yeah. And again, it's it's not about, you know, some people are like, oh, well, I don't want to um, go too far off the, off the set route. And you don't have to. Um, you don't have to stand up and be counted in a really, really obvious, um, overt way. You can be authentic by just going a little bit left or a little bit right. It doesn't have to be anything major, but you, life's much easier if you're being you rather than trying to be something that you're not. Agreed. Um, and I think those people who have, um, you, you know, haven't felt the need to kind of shut off some of their, their aspects of themselves, you know, they don't quite get that aspect of it, but if you're able to be more, uh, honest in your communication, there's, there's a freeing, uh, component to that, that, you know, there's, there's less of a restrictions, you know, easier on the heart, maybe, you know, where you, you can live a freer life if you're able to not have to pretend. And you're less, you're less tense and you probably are a much better person. You're probably, um, freer to explore. You probably, your confidence is probably stronger because it's coming more naturally. You're not having to, it's not forced. Otherwise life is a very forced experience, right. which is tough. Well, and you know, uh, and and I don't know. I'm I'm curious about this with you. Um, we had on a guest earlier um, who talked uh, a lot about imposter syndrome. That you know, it's kind of a thing where kind of like, oh, I've and and so for, for me, you know, I went through this period. I've only been surfing a handful of years, but I'm you know competing at the international level, which is really it's weird. Cool. Um, but <laughs> but because I. I'm compete, you know, competing at that level so quickly. I started to really wonder about: is it me? Is it my coach? Is it this or that? And I started to really doubt my own self worth. And I think that the more you just start to just do yourself authentically, it's it doesn't hold off, it doesn't stop the imposter syndrome, but it, it helps. Um, have you, you know, if I can be so bold, have you dealt with? Um, any sort of contradiction of identity with relevant to, hey, I've done all this stuff, but yet I don't feel any different, or, or any sort of that imposter syndrome kind of stuff? Oh, yes. Is that anything that you've kind of oh, explored? Yes, massively. Or? Um, the weird thing is, not so much in the physical challenges. So, for example, running marathons and stuff, I know that I am the slowest person on earth. So I know I'll finish and I'm certainly not aiming to get any of the podium places. Right. And you have an objective marker. You're like, you either finished exactly. the race or you didn't. That's exactly. Pretty easy. So it's yeah. quite easy. Whereas where my imposter syndrome really kicks in is in the workplace. Um, and I have to, I really grapple at times with, am I doing the right thing? Have I made the right decision? And, you know, leading a business for the last five years and in particular last year was a very very challenging time we got bought and we had to make significant staff changes during covid um as well as going through the acquisition yeah, that's a nightmare to navigate for yeah, anyone it, it was really yeah. really horrible and i was 
doubting everything I did whilst having to stay strong at the same time. And, you know, I did some things wrong and some things right in retrospect. But it's, I suppose, when I stop, if, if I can see myself going down that self-imposter kind of cycle, I try and right. get... I know that the magic thing to unlock it for me is exercise. So I'll go and do a long run or something. Mm. And that helps me then think rationally, call on my expeditioning, my physical uh, mental skill set, I suppose, if you you know what I mean, that resilience, that things going wrong. Come on, if you can do all of those things, why can't you apply it to work? Um, And it helps me get out of it. But, oh, Daily, daily at the moment, you know, ev- everyone, every day. But I think what I've learned is I can pick myself up quick, more quickly as a result of the adventures that I've done. Sure. And and so you, you did mention like you, you know, if you find yourself needing to kind of pull yourself back, you'll you'll go and do a workout or mm-hmm. some kind of exercise. Are there any other regular practices that are, are part of your life that kind of keep you grounded or able to persevere? Um. It is it is getting fresh air and exercise. It doesn't need to be a long run. It's and also it's a bit of time sure. on my own, um, which obviously doesn't really work during lockdown and we're in I don't know what week of our third lockdown over here at the moment. Um sure. so that that's quite difficult, but it, it is, it's that headspace. I'm not a meditator. I, I that doesn't float my boat okay. really. But yeah. I get my mindfulness by being outside. And as long as I've been outside I'm a better person, definitely. That's that's my toolkit is being outside, and then that helps me think rationally. Yeah, I, I, I it's funny too. Um, you know, uh, Cal- California has been pretty good overall, and I, I feel pretty fortunate. But um, I'm I moved to a place with a private patio uh, midway through the, you know, all the it was middle of July, I guess. So. You know, so I can go outside and and not have to and not have to worry about okay, am I too close to people? Um, is this an appropriate time to wear a mask? I have freedom. the ability to go outside, and even if I don't go for a long walk, because I, I don't have that big of a <laughs> patio, but I have a private patio that is far enough apart from my neighbors that I'm not going to unnecessarily put anybody mm-hmm. at risk. I can go out and I can breathe in that exactly. fresh air and and feel the sun on my face, and that there is something really. Uh, powerfully positive. It just helps uh, you being able to do that. Stop. I think it's about if you're not careful, it's like you're on a treadmill and you often see the comedy skits where the treadmill's going faster and faster and the person's legs can't keep up and eventually mm-hmm. they just slide off the back. Um, and it's a bit like having a reset button on one of those. It just yeah. lets you pause for 10 seconds. And, and I think it's allowing yourself having imposter syndrome or having doubt or having whatever it is you're you're grappling with in your mind, that's not bad. Everybody has that. And to have that thought doesn't mean you're weak or you're a failure or you're useless. It's, but it's all about what tools have you got that let you um, redirect your thinking into a more positive way. That that's the critical bit is the tools to pick yourself back up again. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more on that. And and actually, what's really cool though, um, I, I hinted at it, uh, and, and this is the the other thing that I think is really cool about you is you're not just doing this for your own sake. You're using 
the adventuring that you're doing and the challenging that you're doing and it's sort of purposeful mm-hmm. living uh, you know and, and you know we, we, you and I we've been around personal growth industry stuff and so you know, there's a lot of that talk but there is something very valuable about not just doing it for yourself but also bringing other people along with you and so you're um you're raising money for not just one but apparently four, four charities, charities think, kind of for, a cross section yeah. so two different cancer yeah. charities because i you like everyone everyone knows someone who's affected by char- um, by cancer and sure. then a, a homeless charity local homeless charity and then um an eye charity called fight for sight in the uk which is one of the things it's funding is a uh, for eye conditions research into an eye condition that i've got so it's yeah that one's very personal to me and so i think yeah if i can raise i'm hoping to raise six thousand pounds um over well originally over the course of two years now over the course of however long it takes and i'm nearly i'm nearly sure. halfway almost halfway so i really want to Hence, doing silly things at the moment, silly challenges to try and get the momentum building again um, so that I can raise as much money as I can for these charities. I think it's really important. Sure. Um, what, uh, I guess, connected to, to some of that, what um, drove you, I guess, to to want to give to these? I mean, obviously, you have personal connections to all the specific charities. Was there something in you that made you kind of go, well, let me leverage my experience to actually help other people? Did you have any kind of shift in your thinking or have you always had that mindset of wanting to help make life better for other people? Um, bit of both. So I think I was, my father in particular, you know, he, he was always involved in goodness knows how many committees and he was busy with this and busy with that. And in one hand, we always used to say, oh, dad, why didn't you ever have time for us, you know? Um, and of course, you know, it's rubbed off, hasn't it? So, but I'm yeah. I'm not necessarily a big overt charity person. And I'm not on, I am involved in chari- some charities specifically, but I'm not on loads and loads of committees. Sure. But I do believe that right. using my um, experiences, I can absolutely, and that slightly bonkers bit of my personality, that slightly... What? Has she just done that? Why has she done that? Oh, she's mad. Okay, I'll give her five quid. Um, it's if I can if I can leverage that, brilliant. And over the years, you know, I have I've raised money for different charities along the way. And it's sort of the problem is after a bit, you've always done, you know, I've done another this or another that. So you're always thinking of how can I ask people for money this time? Hence the fifty right. at fifty. It's like I just gave you money. I just gave you fifty last you know, year. Exactly. Last week. What do you, what exactly. do you want now? And that, that's the problem. So yeah. yeah. So it's about trying to do that. And then I think it's also genuinely when I first started talking, it was to schools is what I originally started talking before I did businesses and primary schools. And I remember a mother mm-hmm. wrote to the school after saying that her son had been a bit of a tearaway, and he had always had all these role models like David Beckham or whoever they were, but they weren't touchable. You couldn't, they were so, so aspirational. Mm, They're so bigger than life and so further away. He didn't believe that he could be that. And he heard me and he said to his mother, she's normal. I can be like her. And I'm not going to pretend that he changed overnight, but Sure, but the, the, that shift of thinking can unlock a whole chain Absolutely. of 
experiences and you know so that well, that's that, that's beautiful. the bit that almost more than the actual physical f- financial fundraising the bits when you get messages like that whether it's from someone in yeah. a business someone in a school someone wherever you do it if you know that you've had that impact it's really humbling and without sounding naff you feel you have a responsibility to to build on that and that makes i feel like i'm bigging myself up and i don't want to but no i think you're you're speaking genuine the my my kempo instructor who you know I, i spent the most time with he has a really cool definition of humility, which may help as you kind of unpack this for yourself, is humility is knowing the truth about yourself. You know, so it's it's not thinking of yourself bigger or better than you are, right? So you're not thinking, oh, I'm I'm the most amazing person ever. I'm I, you know, nobody's stronger than me. And it's also not thinking less of yourself than you are. So, you know, one of the things he talks about, you know, like people, as I, I told him I, I, one time after a, a promotion he had given me and told him I didn't feel worthy of it. And he's like, well, you know, think about it. Who, who's the master and who's the student? I'm like, well, you're the master, I'm, I'm the student. So, and he said, who do you think knows better <laughs> whether or not you're ready for that rank? Well, yes, I guess you I do. do. <laughs> and so it, it's it's sort of a, if what you're saying is true, right, there's and and it's an appropriate context. I would absolutely argue that a podcast talking about your accomplishments is totally an appropriate <laughs> context. I, um, you know, I think that owning your achievements is not self-absorption if you are not using it as a weapon against others. If you're using your accomplishments and you're speaking honestly about that and you're owning those, especially if you're using that as a way to feel you for other things and a way to help other people. I I think that's actually really healthy. So oftentimes people will say, oh, that's so amazing you did this thing. And I used to minimize my my accomplishments. You know, people would say, oh man, that's so amazing. You're blind. You do all this stuff. I'm like, and I and I would minimize it. And I don't know if it was him or if it was somebody else who got a hold of me and they were like, just say thank yes, you. Yes. Yes. And and I, I just started saying thank you. And not immediately, but eventually, it was like, oh, okay. And so, you know, far be it for me to tell you how to live your life, but certainly if you can appreciate all of this amazing stuff that you've done, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're, you're, uh, you're not being overly, you're, you're not a salesman, <laughs> no, I'm not right? A you're salesman. not being your, you know, you're not, you're selling, selling me a, a, a used car, no, I'm you not know, or anything like that. You know, I, I think, not. yeah. But yeah, no, you're right, you know, and actually it's very quickly, I think something you just said there, I was told that if you, if someone gives you a compliment and you bat it away and say, oh, well, yes, yeah, I didn't, yeah, actually you're insulting the person who's just given you the compliment mm-hmm. because they've taken the time to say you are good or you deserve a promotion or whatever it is. And if you say, if you dismiss it, it's almost like you're dismissing their knowledge their skill the the time they took to say that compliment to you so like you with your master you know or me accepting a compliment it's important that you do learn to 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 accept that and recognize that you have got certain gifts and abilities and to use them properly 
I do want to uh, make sure that if, because there's a, I need a lot of speaking and I, it sounds like, you know, a lot of it is like you were saying to, to primary schools and, and, you know, you've spoken for businesses and things. Do you mostly talk about your experiences? Is there another facet to, you know, what you talk about when you uh, address different groups? To be honest, it is, it's, it's very much, the message is always about how a normal person can do extraordinary things. Um, but that extraordinary doesn't have to be climbing Everest or going to the North Pole. It can be your own extraordinary. Sure, sure. And it's very much that message of resilience, of coping with change. And really, it's tend, my talks tend to be quite organic. I very much use the framework of the North Pole as my basic framework, because obviously it's a good story. Sure. You use the experiences exactly. that you've had. That totally it's makes sense to me. It's a good story and people can relate to it. But I pull in everything else, whether it be my business experience, whether it be I was a primary school teacher, pulling in my primary teaching experiences, um, whatever those experiences are along the way, it's relating it to real life. So I don't, I specifically yep. don't use jargon. I'm not, I'm not trained in resilience. I'm not a, I don't have a, a master's degree in resilience or anything like that. I've got a life degree, you know, that that's my qualification is right. life. So yeah, my talks are very, very much around the aim is that if one person walks out feeling they can achieve something greater or achieve their, or overcome a obstacle that's in their way, then I've done my job. That's what they're about. That's, that's beautiful. Um, any, uh, any last things you want to make sure that we impart well I'll definitely we'll get your your website in fact actually once you go ahead and if you have we'll put this in the show notes for the episode but what um if somebody wants to learn more about what you're what you're doing and and you know how they can contribute to your uh your fundraising and or just book you as a speaker virtually or otherwise so um my speaking website is it's a, it's a really nice easy one it's anything is possible uk um and then my my slightly mad challenges is 50, the number 50 at the number 50.org.uk. So 50 at 50.org.uk. But, um, but yes, I, I love, I genuinely love the speaking. Um, and if with the challenges, if anyone can make any of my challenges happen or open a door to put me in touch with someone who can make it happen, um, then I'm up for anything. I do always reserve judgment that if you challenge me to something I really don't want to do, I reserve the judgment to say no. But yes. Yeah, you're not Marty McFly in uh, in Back to the Future saying like, "What are you chicken?" And then like immediately exactly. that makes you do it. You know, you have some some forethought. I know. You know. So I, I, my theory is, if you tell someone you're going to do it, you can't chicken out. So I always make sure I try and tell someone I'm going to do it. And then I, I can't back out. <laughs> <laughs> You're a woman of you your waste word. Waste time, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I have my moments too. Anything else I forgot before we uh, close this, this very cool conversation? No, I've really enjoyed it. Time's absolutely flown by. It's been lovely. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've enjoyed this too. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to kind of see where you go, and uh, definitely uh, encourage everyone to check out uh victoria humphreys and all of the cool things that she's doing and and has done and uh will do because I, I i don't get the impression you're even close to being no, done definitely yet. Not. 
All right. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on. And as always, adventure is a state of mind. How you live it is up to you.